bringing their problems to me for as long as I can remember. I have one of those faces that just says, tell me what's going on. And now I have one of those podcasts that says, go ahead, tell me what's going on. Welcome to Mess in Progress. Hey guys, and welcome to Mess in Progress with myself, Gina Briona, my lovely co-host slash everything person, Catherine G. Mendoza. Catherine, say hi to the people. Hello, people. Hello, people. It's, it's another hot day in New like muggy day in New York It is. I, people are like, I think some people are worried more about like, oh my God, because of COVID, we can't go outside. Honestly, I just want a dry summer. Like that's it. That's all I ask for. A dry summer. I don't care if I'm inside. It's worse to be inside when it's humid. Yeah. And I can only imagine it's even more worse when you're pregnant. Like nine months pregnant. Oh, 100%. 100%. It's disgusting. I was not a pleasant human being this morning. And I had a doctor's appointment and I had to go in and I was just not. I was. It's pouring outside. It's humid. My hair is reacting because we all know curly hair just can't keep it together. If there's any kind of humidity, just can't. So it already yeah. started just creeping back up. And I'm like, all right, well, you're getting washed tonight. You did it to yourself. Now you're getting washed. <laughs> I love how that's a punishment yeah. for- I'm washing out this blowout now. How do you feel about that? <laughs> how do you feel about the deep conditioning you may or may not get? I almost feel like for curly hair though, that's a treat. Oh yeah, sometimes I use it as a threat. I'm like, mm-hmm, okay. <laughs> you know, really, I feel like the one you're threatening is yourself because the one who wants to go through the labor of washing it. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, now I have to wash my hair. So I'm not going to be pleasant about washing my hair. I'm not going to treat this like it's a treat for you. No, no, it is not. This is a pain in the ass for me. I have to wash my hair and put curly hair stuff in it. <laughs> yeah, I see. I, I feel like with me, my only issue isn't my hair texture in this humidity. It's mm -hmm. like actually having longer hair. Because like when you have shorter hair, it's just, it's easier to manage in general. Like it's not necessarily easier to style. It's just easier yeah. to manage. But longer hair, you know, it's just like, there's a lot of heaviness and I'm just like, uh, I, I know that I'm in one of those moments where I'm like, I want to cut it, yeah. but if I cut it, I'm going to regret it. And then if I keep it, I'm just going to have to suffer this through. So right now, like, and then plus my, my hair grows like deep in the Bronx. I'm not taking an hour train during this. So this is what the world is getting. I'm just suffering. Yeah. My hair is like, Dorka length, like my hair is church lady. I'm gonna, I'm, go I'm going up to sing the next canto. Like that's how long my hair has gotten. Like I'm, I'm Paz de Cristo, like freaking length of hair right now. You and know what I love? You see this little hair? You have like a little hair right on the side, right there. I, for anybody who's watching this, you won't see it, but like it's not really a flyaway. It is a, it, it, but it's a baby hair, right? Almost. Yeah, it's a baby hair. I love how. That reminds me so much of like my mom's flyaways. I think that there's this like, as we get older, we get hair closer to like our mother's hairs. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just- Oh yeah. <laughs> I think it's my mom's, my mom's texture of hair. She just, at some point, I think my mom was like, I, I give up. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to do with my hair anymore. Like mom, I, and I feel her. I'm like, mom, I feel you. I, I don't know. I'm at a loss. <laughs> I'm at a loss. I told my doctor today, I was in a mood. I saw my doctor today. I was like, I'm done being pregnant. I'm done. We have, we have, what, we're um, a week out. 
we're a week out, but I was like, let's speed this up. I was like, let's talk, let's talk herbal stuff that's gonna speed this up real quick. And he he gave me a tea that I could drink, and he was like, it may or may not work, but no harm, no foul. The tea doesn't do anything to you, so if it doesn't work, it just doesn't work. Girl, you know I picked up two boxes. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done being pregnant. You about to come out, son. I'm gonna send you on the express elevator out of this, out of this person. I feel like I, I, I've heard, I don't know. I feel like people have talked about like um, spicy stuff. Oh, he was telling me, we were talking about everything. It's spicy stuff, sex, tea. Um, walking a lot, apparently. Walking a lot helps. Walking. Did you know, this was interesting. If you rub your nipples, right, and you are pregnant, and you rub your nipples for like 45 minutes or over, why you would do this, I do not know. Who found this out? I do not know how they found this out you will produce Pitocin, which is a hormone needed for you to basically go into labor. But you have to keep rubbing your nipples. Hmm. Like my doctor told me, it was like, mm, I don't- 45 minutes? Like You have to go over that because at 45 minutes, you should start producing the Pitocin, but you have to keep going for like a few, like, like at least two hours or something, I think. No, I'm good. And I'm like, no, I can't because I'm going to have to call in a line of people to take over for when my hands get tired. I'm like, it's your turn. Rub my nips. Your turn. Rub my nips. So I don't understand. And maybe this is me giving out an idea, like literally uh, an invention. Mm-hmm. But like, why hasn't somebody made a rub the nipples like machine to induce labor? Something that... With different speeds though. I just want to throw that out there. Different speeds on the nipple rubbing machine because you, right. don't, you don't know how sensitive somebody's nipples are. Like, I might be in a situation where I'm super sensitive. I do have super sensitive nipples. But that's what but, I'm saying. Like, but a machine like that, would would you have bought that? Like, if you, if you felt yeah. like it has to be, like, gentle and it has to feel almost like actual I would buy that just for, just for my life on the road without my husband there. I'd be like, I'm bringing my nipple machine. I'm going to bring my other bag of, of play toys and I'm going to have a weekend. I'm going to have a nice weekend. Just me and all these non-messy toys. The Mommy's nipple toys. rubber? Yeah. <laughs> Mommy's toys are different. So he'll be with the I, baby. I feel like, yeah, but you see, that's the kind of thing that's like, that's for this specific thing. But people yeah. will totally sexualize it. Of course. I sexualized it immediately. <laughs> right now. I was like, I would take that machine with me on every road gig I had. And I don't know why, I have a theory that men enjoy nipple play than more than women. You know what? I've heard that. I've heard that from guys that they do like nipple play. And I was surprised when I heard it because I was like, really? I always thought your nipples were so pointless. <laughs> like, they, they, you don't need them for anything. So I wondered what men do with their nipples. Cause it's like, you don't really need them what they do with them well i think i'm oh no the fog is coming in Uh um i feel like i feel like well women we must have like i think everybody has sensitive nipples right but i think that women must have clearly have a higher pain tolerance Mm -hmm. but then that means that we have a higher pain tolerance on, on our nipples which would mean theirs is more sensitive which is why I'm like, it would make sense why it would be. Oh yeah, that does make sense. Like, by going by that logic, that does totally make sense because it's just like having a higher pain tolerance because you get your period every month. Like it's mm-hmm. like, I get cramps every month. So I'm used to being in excruciating pain at least one week out of the year to the point that <laughs> I'm, I'm one week out of the month because I'm fucking just used to it. So anytime it happens and women keep going, 
like right. even with the pain of our period, like we'll, we'll keep going. We have no choice. Yeah, so we learn how to tolerate that. So it does make sense that even with our nipples, because they, I mean, they're sensitive. I don't know about you, but like I walk into a room that has any kind of breeze and I'm like, all right, well, I need, that's why all my bras are padded because I have such sensitive nipples. I'm like, I can't just be out there all willy nilly. Right. Like, I don't know if some of those girls I see without bras, I'm like, you must have like iron nipples, like seriously, because that's ridiculous. I'm, I'm, like, so impressed. I'm more impressed. I'm always looking at the placement of the nipples because I feel like when you see nipples, the first thing my brain goes is, are they exactly aligned? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That's embarrassing when you see them and they're off and you're like, sis, wear a bra. Sis, wear a bra. There's nothing wrong with lack of alignment. You want to know why? No, but I noticed, because my boobs are like that. My boobs are like a Picasso. Like, if I'm naked, there's one here and there's one here. And so, yeah. So, it's like, I notice. Also, my brother, when he would, when I would not wear a bra, my brother would do this to me. Like, he would always tell me. And I'd be like, <sighs> it made me laugh, but it was still messed up. I was like, oh, no. Body I'm conscious of it. So I would be like, if, if I would tell another woman, like, yo, like, I don't know if you know this, your nipple is askew. Um, <laughs> our guest is here. Yay! God, right on time. Our guest is here. Let's let him in. We must admit well, our guest. Don't forget to introduce him. Yes. Hey, we have our guest here. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. Let's introduce our wonderful guest writer, actor, Manny. Perez, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Oh, well, we're excited to have you on. You have had such an amazing career. So um, this is my co-host, Catherine. Catherine, Manny. Hello. Catherine. I'm Gina. Uh, so nice. So nice to meet you over Zoom. Um, uh, it's, uh, we have this thing that we do. So we start with the three questions. I'm going to throw those three rapid fire questions your way. We sure. do three rapid fire questions. You can answer them in whatever importance, like you see them. Um, the first one is, where are you from? Second one, what is your Zodiac sign? And the third one is, how did you get started as an actor writer? Well, I'm Dominican, Dominican Republic now in Washington Heights, little Dominican <laughs> town. Uh, I'm a tourist. May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, when Mexicans were throwing a, a party, they were thinking of me giving, a mom giving birth. <laughs> they were praising for your exactly. birth. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. And how I got started, you know, I, um, uh, since I was a little boy, I always had dreams of becoming an actor. So when my family moved here, when I was 10 years old, I came, my family moved to Providence, Rhode Island. I, had, I didn't know English. I had to learn English. There was no ESL at the time. It was like you get thrown in a class with white people and you learn the hard way. So I sort of learned the hard way. And then um, in high school, I was like, you know what? I always liked acting. I was like the clown in my family. So I was like, I'm gonna pursue this. So I started doing a lot of children's theater in Rhode Island. And then when I turned 18 out of high school, I was like, I'm gonna move to New York and major in acting. So I went to Marymount Manhattan College. Get out of here. I went to Marymount. Shut up. That's insane. I did not know you went to Marymount. What year did you graduate? Uh, let's see, how old am I? Well, you're going to make me do math on the show. Uh, you got to tell me. You got to tell me. My favorite part is also that you guys are so surprised, like other people don't go to the same No, college. but they, they don't. Because you don't understand. Marymount is such a small college exactly. in Manhattan. Like, it's like when I meet somebody that went to Marymount, I am like, wait, how did you know about this? It's like a little speck on the college, on the colleges. And it's a private college. So 
Um, God, what, what year did I go? I was there in, I started in 98. Got you. Started in okay. Yeah. Got you. But you know what? Yeah, I'm surprised too, because, you know, when I went to Marymount, it was the first year that they opened up for guys. So oh, it was yeah. me and two other guys. And you know what? I had no idea that it was just me and two other guys until my third year. I'm like, wait a minute. Wait, holy <laughs> shit. Am I the only guy? Am I one, only, one of the only guys here? And that's when I started to open up. But I was so involved in my theater, in my acting, yeah. that I had no idea that, you know. They had a really good, they had a really good theater department at Marymount. Like, it, they, they do. Very seriously. Like, you had to audition to get into yeah. it. Which is and also, cool. dance department is pretty good. Oh, yeah. Dance yeah. department, too. I would see ballerinas all over the place. There were so many dancers there. Oh, my. Did they have nuns when you were going there? They, they had nuns when we were going there. When, 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 when I was going there. One or two nuns were left. So it was founded as an all-woman's... Um, exactly. Oh. Yeah. And then they'd open up to the, to the guys for the theater department. And then they opened up to the guys for theater and dance. And then they went up and opened for business and so, so yeah. on and so on. Wow, that's so crazy, though. Hey. Hey. Moms are the same college. <laughs> I don't find that a lot. So when you went to college, is that when you started writing? Well, yeah, I did. I, I started writing in my second year just because, you know, as an actor, you want to explore everything. So I, we were doing, there was a night of like, uh, show your, your, your pieces or your monologues and your scenes. So I started writing my own and that's how the whole thing came about. And, and now I, I, I do it on, 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 as, as, as like a hobby. I'm not a writer per se. I write to act because I'm trying to make sure that I get a chance to, you know, not just be your cliche, stereotypical uh, villain. Yeah. I'm trying to like change. You know, yeah, the narrative. No, I'm. I mean, I'm so interesting because every time we talk to people who started off in theater of any kind, they talk about what they wrote about, right? So I'm curious. Do you remember what was one of the first things you wrote about? Like, were you writing from your experiences, or some people like? Because when I was in theater, some people wrote stories that were similar to their life, but then other people were like just these wilder imaginations coming up with characters that were nothing like their life. Yeah, no, I'm very abstract. Uh, so it was nothing like me at all. Uh, I wrote a piece in college about the song by uh, the song by uh, on the Watchtower by uh, the famous the guitar player, black guitar player on the Watchtower. Anyway, I wrote about I wrote about Hendrix. Yes, Hendrix. Hey. There you go. Sorry. <laughs> so it was very upsetting. I was like, wait, the only one I know is Hendrix. He's talking about exactly. Hendrix. So I never wrote about many, many. And then after college, I got a slap to my face and I'm like, no, you're gonna write about that thing right there, Washington Heights, which yeah. is about a kid living in Washington Heights whose dad wants him to run a bodega and the kid wants to be a cartoonist. So then I, that's when I faced my reality. You know, hey, that's what you gotta deal with. That's what you got to write about. So then everything changed for me then. Did you, um, did you run into any problems with like your family and friends not supporting your dream as an actor, as a writer? Uh, was there any like headbutting that happened? I know with a lot of creatives and their families, specifically with Latino families, because they look at how much money you're not going to make as a creative and they can come at you on that angle. Did you have to deal with any of that? I'm still dealing. I'm still dealing with that. It's crazy. Oh. I come from a family of Dominicans, very united, 
they're all factory workers, except my little brother who went to college with me. But I was the first to graduate, got a, my first to get a degree. So they, till this day, my mom tells me, hey, you know, they're still hiring at my brother's factory. And I'm like, mom, but I'm in a TV show. Uh, yeah, that's not a job. So, you know, so it never changes, dude. It no, never changes. It does. They're still going to come at you. And then have a brother, get this shit. I have a brother of mine who's like, listen, man, until I see you working with Arnold Schwarzenegger or Charles Bronson, you're not an actor. Charles Bronson is dead like 20 years ago. <laughs> and Arnold's a little busy. Exactly. <laughs> He's slightly busy. He's a little <laughs> busy to be making movies with people right now. I mean, especially the projects you've worked on. Like, I think, and that says so much about, like, the bar of, like, who they really just want to make sure you work with people they like, not necessarily what you actually are doing. Because, like, you know, in in our stock session when we were looking up your stuff, you know, like, there's a lot to be said about the work that you've done. Being on stuff like Homeland or even, like, the the acclaimedness of the night of when that had first come out. Like, those type of things. But even behind you, El Cantante, within... Like Latino culture, that's, yeah. that's a really big representation movie. And it's like, but still, it's not Charles Bronson. And it's exactly. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, it's, it, it, but then I, I understand how they think. I mean, I hate to say, it. you know, I love my family, but it's hard to explain, just, not just to my family, to anyone Latino, how this industry works. To them, they don't see it as a job. They see that we're having fun and it's not a job. And a job, it will be me working in a factory. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a job which is, you know, but then again, that's, that's our culture, you know, so. That's our culture altogether. Like anytime yeah. you want to go against the grain or against what they think you should be doing or what they think will make you successful, you know, they're going to have their moments where it's just, they're just freaking out. And it's coming from a good place. So I feel like we always understand that it comes from a good place because they want us to be okay as their children. But it's also frustrating because it's like, hey, this is my dream. Like if I could use anybody's support, it's you guys. Yeah. Exactly. You know? No, and I mean, even just talking about that first piece, the Washington Heights movie behind you, just that idea of like being an artist, right? Like that's what your theme was. He saw himself as that, but the, um, the you know, working at the bodega, OD the bodega is a very like tangible thing. And so, you know, I think that like, yeah, my family also was like doctor, lawyer, those things are what's spoken about a lot, but even a bodega, a laundromat, those type of things that you have a negocio. And so you have something to like stand ground on. Where it's yeah. like they don't see being a, a, a cartoonist as the theme for that movie, as like you can make a negocio, but they don't see it like that. No. Um, so it's very interesting. It's the uh, intangible to them, I feel like. They look at it like it's on such a, like a pedestal, like only certain people make it. And, it's, and to them, those people, it's so rare. They're like, you can't take that chance. Like, I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger? You're trying to be Arnold Schwarzenegger? You're like, no, I'm not trying to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm trying to do my own thing and hope for a successful career, whatever that means. But it's hard to explain that to Latino parents. No, it's, it's very hard. I mean, it's, uh, it's a struggle. I mean, it's even now. It's like, it's such a struggle to get them to support, to be there. Just, it, it's, but then again, it, it's, it's come to the point for me that I'm just moving forward. And I feel like that has made me stronger. Yeah. Do they get a certain type of way if you get recognized when you're with them? Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. It's, yeah, it's crazy. That they, that they, they enjoy, they love. They're like, 
Although, like, if I go, like, when I go visit them in Providence or Miami, whatever, when I go to the store, they want to come with me. And, and you're like, why? Because I want to <laughs> see who's going to recognize you. And I'm like, ah, oh, Lord. So then there's a pressure of me, like, someone to recognize me, please, because I got my family with me. Please recognize me. Please, somebody recognize me. Oh, me. It's, like, it's the craziest thing. That is that because I know that reaction from people like when you do get recognized as somebody who's uh, has been in so many projects and be, and is a recognizable face like when people see you your family reacts in that way of like oh, that's right we're with the superstar no matter how they feel about your career they're like we're with somebody famous it's crazy but so true um. So a few years ago, 2018, and I actually saw this when it actually came out in New York City, um, Veneno. Yes. How did that react in your family? Because the character is so centralized in Dominican culture, especially in the Dominican Republic, did that change anything? Like, be, be portraying somebody who has a historic context within your actual homeland? You know what's funny? Um, Dominicans, uh, they love their culture, as, as you know, and they love... They love this man, Jack Beneno. He's, 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 a, he's a legend in, in our culture. Uh, but my family, they were raised in the mountains. So TV was not a, a thing for them. So to them, Jack Beneno, yeah, whatever. They were, they were not wrestling fans at all. Everybody else were like, yeah, man, my family's like, oh, whatever, dude. When, uh, when are you working with Arnold Schwarzenegger again? <laughs> I'm like, what the? They're like, is Arnold Schwarzenegger in Venice? <laughs> <laughs> it's the most craziest thing, but yeah, that's exactly how it is. It's, it's, wow. yeah, wow. No, it's, uh, it, yeah, I know. It's crazy. I mean, and that's like, I, when, like I said, when I saw the film, one thing that I really thought that I really enjoyed was um, the actual filmmaking of it because it really reminded me of what a Marvel film is usually packaged as. So yeah. that's why, like, it not getting the full acclaim that it should have and like the broadcast, you know, in the theaters. Cause I really feel like if more people had access to it, they would realize like, go beyond the fact that it's a, a Dominican necessarily, you know, historical figure. But as a story, it's actually interesting. They're working on the sequel, I believe. Exactly, no, we're gonna be doing the sequel next year. And I think the sequel, the story in the sequel, it's better than, the, than, than the, uh, the first one that we did. But no, the film, listen, the film took Dominican filmmaking to a different level. The quality, the story, the, uh, the, the production value, the acting, I think everything is in a different level, you know? It's too bad that the film did not get its, its momentum that it should have gotten. Uh, I truly believe, uh, I don't know what happened here in the States, uh, promotion-wise, I, I didn't think they put enough money into promotions. But in the DR, it did amazing. It did amazing in the DR. And right now it's showing on HBO, Latino on HBO. So it's doing great on HBO, you know, people are actually seeing it, which is a good thing. Yeah, no, I definitely think that it's one, I'm hoping that it's one of those films that builds a cult classic with time. Yeah. You know, that like it gets on streaming device, like services like Netflix one day and people just see it and then they're like, oh shoot, this is why I should watch the sequel that yeah that's what i'm that's hoping true. for because it's a really good i i told when we knew you were coming one of the first things i was like you need to see the film like no it's a good yeah. film it's a good it's a good film it's well it's done and you know what's weird. crazy that jack Beneno, the guy he's still he's still alive he's a legend i mean this guy everybody in the dr knows so 
what's crazy is that I look exactly like him. I'm not acting. I'm just being me with a with, with the with a beard. I look exactly like that dude. And I was thinking, maybe my mom and him were like doing some. <laughs> were you guys really close back in the day? Exactly. Is that why you didn't watch TV, mom? That's <laughs> why she ignored it. She was like, Jack Benano. No, exactly. I don't know. <laughs> Doesn't sound familiar. <laughs> That's so, what happened. Let's go and go into your most recent project yeah. for Amazon, which is Big Dogs. Yeah. No, Big Dogs, listen, Big Dogs is a blessing. It's a blessing. We shot this a year and a half ago uh, here in New York City. And, um, and let me just sum up, let me just tell you what the story is about because it's crazy. The, the story is about, you know, it's based on books by Adam Dunn. And he writes these books where he um, gives you a, a, an alternate reality of New York, United States, where, where uh, uh, the, the, the government, the economy, uh, the, uh, the banks, they all go bankrupt. The, uh, the, the, the police are being defunded. Uh, so, so, like so, now. Like, so it's now. I'm like, I'm like so yeah. he was way ahead of us, is what you're exactly. saying. Which is, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm coming around to that. Yeah. So, so it's exactly like now. So we were shooting this a year and a half ago. Man, this is great scripts, but I hope New York never turns out to be like this. Cut to now, and I'm thinking, dude, it's exactly what's in. This, it's exactly what the what the series about. You might so, want to build a shrine to this man because he might have some profit powers. No, it's crazy. That's what I'm saying, you know. So it's an amazing series. I play the lead lead guy, which is unheard of for a Latino to be a lead lead guy of a series like this. Um, I heard of because I've been in this business in this business for a long time and I'm always auditioning, always for the secondary character, the best friend, drug dealer, crook, whatever help. But this is like the guy. So it's a it's man, I am so thrilled, I'm so happy. And uh, the series is doing amazing via Amazon uh, uh, Prime. It's doing amazing. Oh, that's so great. And it is really good to see a Latino as a lead because we were just talking about um, shows like Baker and the Beauty who, you know, that got canceled. There's not a lot of representation for us on network or on streaming now, but streaming seems to be giving us a lot more opportunities. So kudos to Amazon for giving, you know, a show with a Latino lead a fair shot. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I also feel that, you know, now that we're, we're talking about Latinos, I also feel that the problem with, with you know, like, for example, uh, the ABC show that I canceled, Baker and, and the Beauty, great show. I don't know why not that many Latinos were watching. I asked myself why. And then I feel like this is why. I feel like us as Latinos, we have too much pride. For example, I'm Dominican. And so I'm, uh, I do a film about La Soga and people in the West Coast who are Mexicans, I'm not going to see it because, ah, that's Dominican. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Or a Mexicans filmmaker does a film about the West Coast about, let's say, La Familia or gangs or whatever. All of a sudden, Caribbeans are like, you know what? That's a Mexican thing. That's not for me. But to the typical white man sitting in Texas, we're all Latinos. So I feel like we all should just unite and support whatever is out there that deals with Latinos. And that's, yeah. I feel, is the trick to making Hollywood see and say, you know what, they're supporting going out, you know. And yeah, yeah so that's very true. So they'll make more projects for us because we're supporting. 
Exactly. Right. It's it's the audience that they're trying to get over and it's not working because you're to that extent we are unsupportive of projects that if if somebody looks at something and let's say like I'm Puerto Rican, I could look at something and there's other Puerto Ricans that look at something and be like, "Oh, but that um Mexican person is playing a Puerto Rican. I'm not going to watch that. I'm not going to watch that because you're not really I know you're not really Puerto Rican." And I'm like, can you just support it? Like, just exactly. just support the project. Watch the project. Do you want our foots to get in the door? <clears throat> you want us to get past a certain point? Well, then you got to support the projects that are trying to do that, that are trying to create that momentum. Yeah, no, definitely. It, um, it, what it keeps is the narrative open that they need more stories like that. You know, like, I definitely agree that that's one of the reasons why it failed. You know, there is also the theory that, like, marketed enough so that was the other problem where like, there's sometimes a really bad marketing for Latino shows where it's like, even if it's a, it's a great show, it didn't even get the reach that it should have to the audience until too late. So yeah. some people are finding the Baker and the Beauty now that it's already canceled. They heard about it through the controversy, not through the hype, you yeah. know? And that there's so many, I think there's so many things standing in the way, like these little, little ways of like, okay, we're going to give you something, but then we're going to put, and you didn't even see the hurdles, but they were there, you know? So I think that like having these discussions, like the one that you brought up matters. It, it is important for people to go, yeah, you know what? Like anything for the sake of support. Yeah. And I should know something to learn about a different culture too. Like right. if maybe there is a movie that's made about Mexican culture, maybe you should go and watch it. So you learn something. Yeah. Right. Like I, like I said, with, with Veneno, I'm not Dominican. Right? Like, I'm not from DR, and I had heard of this person. A friend of mine who was Dominican was like, yo, just trust me, I think you're gonna like this. So I went and I was like, I didn't like it because it was a Dominican film. I liked it because it was a great film. Yeah. And so when I walked out of there, I don't tell people, you should watch this because it's in this, it is central. I say it because, no, it's actually really good, you know? And I think that's where people need to stop like going, I, I need the representation to just be about me, but understand that you can be represented in many other ways. Exactly. Yeah. No, I agree with you 100%. hundred percent, yeah. you know? And there's so many great films out there that we, again, the reason why, you, you know, when the African-American, they have these, uh, when one of their films come out, they all go and by the dozen just like, filled up the theaters. Why? Because they are Jamaican, whatever their background they are, they're all African-Americans, so they support. We, on the other hand, we have too much pride, and I'm not going to go see that, because that's not about... Dude, we're all Latinos. I feel like once you come to this country, you're not Dominican, you're not Cuban, you're not Puerto Rican, you are Latino. And that's the bottom line. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah, and I know there are a few people, and I hate to say this because it is an issue I feel like we don't discuss enough. There are a lot of self-hating Latinos out there that don't support because they look at our stuff and they go, oh, anything related to my ethnicity is corny or anything related to, to anything, any of my Latinidad, that's, that's corny to me. I want to do this. I want to do that. And it's like, no, don't don't be like that. Like you should take pride. We should be prideful, of course. but as a group of people, like be proud and understand where we come from. My culture is just as important as your culture, just right. as important as Catherine's culture. And it's important that we support that idea, but you are right. There's a serious lack of that. Well, yeah, I, no, it's, I yeah. think even like when you watch the pilot of um, 
your show. Like with big dogs, I it literally the second scene when you're in the car with your partner, right? You literally say coñazo. Now mind you, if you're not Caribbean, coño mm -hmm. is not the word you use. It's usually a Caribbean word, including in Latin America, like certain places in, in Colombia say that. Pero like I'm Ecuadorian. We say a lot of carajo. Like my mom didn't learn the word coño until she came to the United States. Gotcha. But every the, the operative word for that is carajo, right? But yeah. it's not that. When you're sitting there and you say that as a main character in the second scene of a pilot, did you feel the emotion where he's like, pay attention to me? That's basically what he's saying. He's like, yeah. what the hell, right? And so like, you don't have to be of that specific group. So you don't have to be somebody who grew up saying coño, but you can understand as a Latino where he was coming from because your mom said a word that was similar yeah. to Right? I think that's what matters. That ideal, even the fact that the line he says, um, family first, stuff like that. Doesn't matter whether you're Mexican or Dominican. He says it, and that's a main character on a, on a, in a pilot of a show. That's a big deal. No, it is. And, and, and what's also amazing about this is that, you know, when I, when I sat down with the producer, the director, like, look, man, we want this guy to be you. Whatever, whatever is in your culture, just be free to use whatever you can to make it your own, which mm -hmm. he gave me, he, they gave me that freedom to do. So I just went full speed ahead with it. Now, what, what's beautiful about that is that, you know Diaz, you guys are familiar with his books. You know Diaz writes like this. He writes Spanglish, which is part of our, you know, everyday uh, uh, language nowadays, where he mixes English with Spanish. And, you know, people love his books and, and they, they're amazing books. But you know, I feel like that's part of our culture as well as being Latinos, mixing Spanglish as, you know, part of everyday, uh, everyday language. I also liked the, the use of Spanish dialogue only as well. Exactly. Like, I'm always impressed when that's thrown into a project because I know for a lot of people producing these projects, that's a very like, like, do we, we got to make people read now? We got to add subtitles, like... Oh, is that going to be awkward? How's that going to fit in? But I think it's, it's done very beautifully in the show and Big Dog. It's done very beautifully in the conversations. I love seeing Spanish used on American programs. Yeah, right. no, that's great. And also what's beautiful about this is that, um, that um, oh my God, I just went blank for a second. Um, <laughs> I did, I went blank. Uh, you guys talk. Ah, fuck. <laughs> you, guys, you guys talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally went I think, I think it's also important, something really big about, like, the Spanish language, right? Because that's our unifier um, regardless. So I think that it's understanding that Spanish is different in different places. But um, I find it very refreshing when producers are willing to hear you out and, like, take your personal identity, mostly because if not, there's somebody else writing for you. And there is something to be said about a Mexican writer or an Ecuadorian writer writing for a Dominican actor. Not to say that a Dominican can't play a Mexican character, but if they're allowing that person to be Dominican, then the slang, the verbiage needs to be in a way that a Dominican actor would say it. So it's yeah. like understanding that like, it might even be written, let's just say it's not a Latino writing it. It's a, it's a white person writing it who is fluent in Spanish they might even have a more textbook Spanish or Spanish from wherever they learned from. And that just doesn't read well when an actor who's Latino tries to say it. Like I said, I grew up in New York City, so I know Ponyo, right? But when my friends from the West Coast 
you could just hear it when they try to say coño, and I'm like, nah, you tried though, you tried, you tried. Stop playing, don't. You're embarrassing yourself. Please stop Exactly. What's so crazy that your producers were shopping this around, by the way, uh, they shopped this around prior to uh, uh, sitting sitting down with uh, Amazon, and all the uh, all the networks were afraid of it, afraid of the content, afraid of everything about the show. And what I love about the show is that these people are not holding nothing back; they're just being real, truthful, honest, and that's what you get. And I love that about the show. You know, um, again, it's. Even though the show deals with what's happening nowadays, you see this in the. Sh I mean, the, the the captain talks about how he enjoyed the beatdown that this guy got. I'm not sure if he got, you know, the beatdown that this guy got tased or whatever. He enjoyed that. So it's like they're not holding nothing back, and I love that as an actor. You know, it's like, hey, let's go all in with it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, they're not glorifying. I think no, they're not. They're, no, they're not at all. But you know they're being they're being truthful to what's happening. This is actually happening, you know. And to like, I feel like they're also very truthful to the what would be the natural human reaction to a situation, where it was exactly. like they're not trying to play nice in a lot of the situations they paint. It's like no, if somebody would be a coward in real life, we're going to show them as a coward. Like exactly. this is what you're going to see. Which yeah. I I mean there are elements of that that I feel like a lot of shows are missing. They're real human response to things. No, I 100%, I agree with you 100% on that, yeah, yeah. Do you find that, cause like, you know, not only this one, but um, the night of, right? So there are certain projects that are coming out now that have a, a realness, a rawness, um, that are tackling real life issues, but not trying to glorify them. If anything, um, really shine light for yourself as an actor compared to like maybe 10 years ago or 20 years ago, what, has that been like when you read those scripts compared to like, like I said before? Oh no, yeah, I mean, I tell you, when, when I read the script, I was like, yes, wow, this is a first time ever. Again, usually I read these scripts where the part is like very cliche, you're like, come on, dude, he will never say that. Why would you make the, the, the Latino guy like this? And it's just, it's unreal, it's not, it's fake, it's, it's you know, so, so when you read something like this, it's refreshing. You're like, wow, okay, well, change is coming. It's coming slow, but it's coming. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, it's going to come. It's going to come where well, you're going to see more of my type or our type as the leading guys in, in this, in, in TV, you know, regular primetime shows. Which I love. I love the fact that you're seeing more of us now. It's a slow build, but you're still seeing more of us now than you ever did. I remember growing up, I would watch TV and the people I had to connect to on sitcoms because I was such a big comedy fan, like were Felicia Rashad because she was the most ethnic looking thing I had seen on TV and Margaret Cho because she was the most ethnic looking thing I had seen on TV. And I would watch these people and I'd be like, oh, that's the closest to Latina I'm going to get. Yeah. That's what, it, I, that's what it came down to, because I really didn't see any Latinas on mainstream. I saw them all on Univision, usually wearing like little mini faldas and, <laughs> or dressed up crazy. That's what I saw. And so... But, 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 in, but in regards to that, I want to add to this. In regards to that, you wonder why Univision and Telemundo, you don't see brown people in there? 
No. You ever wonder? That shit makes me yes, wonder. Because my mom, wrong with us? My mom is um, darker than me. And I would watch with my mom. And my, it's, so, it's so crazy because I would watch Univision and Telemundo. I would watch those, those channels with my mom and my grandma. And my grandmother, who was very light-skinned, my mom came out um, darker-skinned because of her father. Like, my mom is darker than Olive. Like, you can tell my mom is, she's very identifiably ethnic. Like, you look at her and you go, oh, that woman is Latina. <laughs> so, and so we would watch it, and I never saw anybody that looked like my mom. Never. Exactly. And you never really get them made. You get to see the classes. Yes. Like, it's not, no, they, they are in the kitchen, stuff like that. So I found that I found that very interesting because my um, similar my mother is very indigenous presenting like you could tell she had native from South American right like for me I felt like it was very interesting no um, growing up I grew up with the Thalia era and it was always the very lighter skinned wealthier people and then the funny kind of like jokester were the brown people in the kitchen you know what I mean and they got yeah. like one love story but it was always quirky. And yeah. just low brow. And so that, if anything, that was the only other representation of brownness. But it was like, that's messed up. And you and just growing up, I didn't know why it was messed up, but I knew it was messed up. Yeah. You know? No, it's um, sad. I mean, to me, that's just so sad. I'm thinking, wow, man, how, how is this going to, when would that change? You know, when? I have, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I honestly do not know. I mean, I have, by the way, I have Dominican, uh, my, my dad is black, black Dominican. So I have Dominicans, Dominican black, blacker than charcoal, who are like, listen, no te, no te enamore con una negra. Uh, no te, and I'm thinking, negra, what, what are you talking about? So, you know, it's, it's part of our, I have no idea how to, how, how, I have no idea how it's going to change. Yeah. Well, no, no. I, think, I think that's what Hollywood also plays on, right? Like, so American Hollywood in itself plays on our own um, issues in Latin America because it's actually very, and once you, like that statement you just made, right? Translate that into English, you see that it's very similar to the same issues that happen in this country, right? And yeah. so in Hollywood, as they're not trying to let African-American and Black American communities in, you know, in their own right, so that's why Black Hollywood ha has had to have their own Hollywood, like Black has their own community in Hollywood, Latinos get stuck in this in-between which is why um, Zoe Zaldana had to play black American characters yeah. for so long because she wasn't allowed to be casted as a Latina. And yeah. she clearly doesn't look white, right? So I think that I feel like a, a lot of the reason for the change is how misunderstood the Latin, Latino identity is across the board. Mm. Like in general, and the fact that like, you know, when people go um, Dominicans, a Dominican could be, Black, and you just look at them and you might assume in the, this country they're Black American, but they're Dominican. Yeah. And they never think to themselves, because there's a whole different other lineage that is similar, but its own thing. In Hollywood, they're just like, okay, great, but how do we cast you? Like, how, exactly. just, how I don't want to hear you. Hollywood, they're like, what do we see on Latino television? Understand that Hollywood does their homework. So they, they're looking for what they think we like the most. So if they go and they watch Latino projects and they watch Latino television, all they're going to see is a certain shade of a person. Yeah. And that's what they're going to believe that our beauty standard is. So then they're, in order to get people to watch their big blockbuster movies, they're only going to cast um, Latino people that look like that. Not true. 
it's sad but true. Hopefully, all that will change in the near future. Well, hopefully, with projects like Big Dogs, we can see more Latino males in roles like that and more darker shaded people in lead roles. Yeah. Like just, we hope, that's the hope when a show like Big Dogs makes it through, when a show like Baker and the Beauty makes it through, you hope that you will get to see that more often. Right, okay. especially in everyday people. Like I think that's what's important. Like the fact that it's not like, this person's a criminal, this person's a yeah. It's just an everyday person, right? Like Baker and the Beauty, that's just an everyday family. That's it, there was nothing stereotyped about them, right? And so this guy is, he's a cop. That, that is a profession in everyday life, right? But usually he would have to be the sidekick. One thing that I found refreshing is that all of your counterparts, like literally people, the other actors, are recognizable actors from acclaimed projects on their own. But you're a lead standing around, and like you could have been the secondary, right? But you're a lead standing around them. It's kind of like it's almost structured around your character in themselves. There's something to say about that, too. Because in the writer's room, they could have been like, oh, my God, we got all these great actors. Let's change that. Let's, like, he no longer is a lead. Now he's secondary because this actor is in this project and we want them to be cool. So that yeah. opportunity also says a lot about the people who are writing and the people making those big decisions. Yeah. See, I'm, I tell you, you know, to me, this is a big, big blessing. I, I, like I said, you know, I busted my ass in this business for such a long time, always auditioning, always testing for this and that, but never, never for the lead. I'm always, you know, there's always a, a blonde dude as a lead. So this is like an amazing opportunity. I mean, I'm telling you, it's, it's the blessing. It's, it's, it's just every day I'm like, wow, this, I'm so thrilled to finally, someone is actually taking a chance yeah. with, with this, you know, with me in this project. And, yeah. and hopefully this will change the, the path for other Latinos to be leads in other projects as well. Why not? You know? Um, I was curious. Wildest dream. If you could produce, right, any other project from here on out in your career, what's like a goal? Like something that you could create, whether for yourself or something that opens another door for another um, Latino actor? Is there well, anything you have? But you know what's funny? I, I've written, produced uh, four films. Um, I did La Soga, I did Forged, I did, I co-produced Washington Heights. And then I'm also, and I did this comedy called Ponchao. It's like I've never done comedy, but I did Ponchao. Um, and, uh, and then I, I just finished writing and producing and, and we filmed it, La Soga 2. Um, we, we shot it January 1st through the 15th in like 14 days, crazy. Wow. We shot it in Providence, Rhode Island. And uh, that, I'm actually editing now, but that's an amazing project. It took me about five years to write it. Um, so, you know, I'm always focusing on stuff that I can, I, that I can sort of change my career and change the way people look at me um, just because I need to. If not, you know, like this, like being the lead in here would change the way white America looks at me or Hollywood looks at me because they're like, oh, wow, he could actually carry a show, you know, yeah. and that matters. So I'm always producing so I can change the, the people's perspective on, on, on my career, you know? Yeah. Uh, but if I have to write, I just, just, what I love, I love to write stories that have a heart. That's it. 
like it doesn't matter to me it's like that that character has to have a heart it has to have a beginning a middle and maybe not an end but there has to be a heart in what the character is going through yeah and that's how i look at life you know that's how i look at what i get involved with you know yeah and to clarify listening it's not the lin-manuel washington heights he's talking about it's a very different film because i feel like at this point whenever we release it we keep saying washington heights and people might have it's that one it's not it's a whole different like, he was in washington heights that's crazy <laughs> so many times it's not a musical it is a narrative feature film exactly <laughs> That is so funny. I bet you have to make that distinction a lot more times. No, I do. It's funny. And the thing is, I can't sing. So I'll be like, hey, that's not me. I can't sing. I'm in the, in the one that you don't want to sing. <laughs> I can't sing. I'm not in that one. I'm in yeah, the yeah. non-singing one. Yeah. See the non-singing one? <laughs> that's my project. That's, that's, all, that's all me. Yeah. Who were the people that, growing up, speaking of like having people, was there anybody that you looked up to or idolized growing up as like an actor or a writer that sort of gave you that fuel even more than your own passion? Um, yeah, you know, I was a, I said I was, but I, I guess I still am. I was a big Denzel Washington fan. Like, if you would have said Arnold Schwarzenegger, I would have no, 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 no. laughed so hard. Um, Denzel Washington? <laughs> I was a, <laughs> you imagine? <laughs> if you were like Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'd have been like, Oh no! <laughs> that would have been funny. That would have been funny. Uh, no, I was a big, uh, 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 yeah, I was a big uh, Denzel Washington fan, and I was a big uh, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino fan. Oh, you know? Phenomenal, yeah. You know what's funny? At one point, I was a big Andy Garcia fan, and then he just died for me. Oh really? You just you yeah. gave up the love on Andy Garcia? Yeah, because I felt like he started doing things that it wasn't it wasn't coming from his heart. And then, I felt like he disappeared for a while. Like I'm like I don't know you yeah, because because I, I I feel like he lost he lost his 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 roots, as in you know he played his amazing Latinos and all of a sudden he wanted to play these white dudes and I'm thinking why are you playing a white dude you're Latino so and I also have issues with actors or actresses who are Latino and then all of a sudden. They want to make that character white. I'm thinking, no, man, make that shit Latino. So people be like, I get it. Yeah. That's a Latino standing out. You know, and I feel like they all want to make themselves turn white. And I just don't get that. I, yeah. I don't understand that. You know? I think that becomes a survival thing. Like, I don't know enough about the, the world of acting, but I've always assumed that when people did that, it was because they want to survive in this world. And in order to do that, they have to take whatever projects come their way and they just become yes people where they're just like, oh, you want this character to be played um, more Anglo? Okay, cool, then I'll do that. I'll just stay here and do that. I know, but I also feel like as, as like those actors who have, who have power, you know, if the characters, let's say her name is uh, Miss Smith, you know, as, a, as me as the powerful Hollywood actor, I'd be like, you know what, let's make them uh, uh, Mrs. Rodriguez. It's just because, again, Middle America needs to, needs to hear these names, needs to hear the fact that she's Latina or he's Latino, and they're, they're, they will accept us more. Does that make any sense? Yeah. No, no I definitely think that, like, um, like I, I used to think that about, um, and this is, I, I don't know, I think this was actually a height Jennifer Lopez, um, the wedding, no, 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 the wedding planner. 
Mm. So in the wedding planner, she played a Italian woman. Right. But at that point, Jennifer Lopez was already Jennifer Lopez. Like she was already on the top of the chart. She was already all of that. So I wonder, and I, I, I wasn't there, but I wonder if she had that star power in the room to go, we don't have to change anything about the story, but can she be even half Latina? Like maybe her mother, maybe, you know, and there was a storyline that had to do with like Italy, but there's enough power in a room to go with proper writing, we can still fit a, an identity or a specific like storyline that doesn't change the story, but adds something else, a little bit more of what I am. I think that's one of those situations where I wonder if that was even a conversation, something that she thought of, where it was like, or was it just like, I like this movie, I'll play the ethnic white, you know, person. Because yeah. Italians are considered ethnic. Yeah. yeah. They're yeah. ethnic. They're of the ethnic white people. <laughs> <laughs> As there are different sects. There's ethnic and then there's non-ethnic. Because you call an Italian person white and they're like, I'm Italian. Yeah. Like, no, but you don't get where I'm coming from. No, no. I, I <laughs> you don't see where I'm, okay. But that is interesting you bring that up about the wedding planner because that was one of the first things when I watched the movie that I was like, wait, she's not, she's not at all Latina? Like this, we're just supposed to pretend we don't all know she's Puerto Rican? Like, Which was also really weird because one of her biggest roles was playing a Latina, was Mexican-American. So yeah. it was, at that point, Hollywood had already accepted her as, the Latina, right? Like yeah. the, uh, 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 the, everybody knew that she's the exotic, cause that was kind of like the whole Latin height, Ricky Martin, Shakira moment. Yep. And so she could have taken that opportunity to go, I'm not playing any role unless we're representing a version of me. Yeah. But whatever reason she had or didn't have, I wonder if that had more to do with time in the to push the door a little too much, where I think I wonder now, if people can do that because of the time we live in and because of you know social media culture and because people will question these things publicly in a way that wasn't possible 20 years ago. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Uh, out of um, curiosity, hardships in Hollywood for you, have any of them changed? Like the hardships of getting roles, getting in, is there anything that you think has changed for actors or for yourself? Well, good question. I mean, that's just a good question. I, honestly, I always feel it's a struggle. This career is always a struggle. Every time you go into an audition, it's always a struggle. You know, uh, at one point, you do get offers here and there, like, for example, the offer of the big dog. But that doesn't happen often. It doesn't happen often at all, you know. But when it comes, it comes, it comes in handy, and it's great. But you always got to go in that room and bust your ass trying to nail it. And they always go, and I hate to say it, they always go for the most, especially TV, the Latino you can find to be uh, in the show. Yeah. That's just a fact. The whitest Latino you can find to be in the show. Um, so it's always, for me, it's, it's always been a struggle. Um, and, 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 you know, so I don't know if I'm sounding all negative, but, you know, it's just the way it is. Well, I think you're just being honest about what it's like to be out there. And I think a lot of um, young Latino actors, they may not they may not know that what you're up against, it's not always just about you weren't the most talented person that showed up that day. Sometimes it's more about you weren't the look 
They yeah. want to look, and you weren't the look. You could have killed it in that room, but you weren't the look. And I yeah. do think a lot of young actors need to hear that. No, no, of course. And, and, and I also feel that what you should do is go in that room, do the best you can do, and walk away. Yeah. And just walk away. Do not give thought to it, because when you start giving thought, that's when you, that's, that's when you start playing with your mind, and you start lowering your, 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 your self-esteem. Yeah. Um, um, and then that's horrible for an actor. Horrible. Yeah, I think that's why I respect it so much because I don't think, I mean, I've, I'm definitely more of a comedian than I will ever be an actress. I've been on very short projects. I respect actors so much because I don't know if I could go through that all the time, that level of rejection, that level of questioning yourself. You have to have such a strong character and a strong confidence in yourself that you build up to, to know that you did your best and walk away and not even think about it. Like you have to build up such a strong foundation for yourself to be like, I know I did my best. I'm proud of what I did in there. And that's it. On to the next thing. Yeah. But I think that's why it's also so important for like um, Latinos or just anybody who is underrepresented to think more than just being an actor. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying everybody does isn't the actor. Some people are the writer. Some people are the casting agent. There is something to be said about a casting agent sitting in that room and knowing, hey, look, look, I know what the paper says, but the person was perfect for the role. Let's make, you know what I mean? And when there's that, even that representation on that level, like you yeah. said, the person does the best that they could. Who's advocating for them once they did their, the, the best that they could? Who's yeah. sitting in the other side going? Because for myself, like one of the first jobs I ever had was in casting rooms, right? And I knew the description on the page, but I knew how to play with the person. So I would go, they're just not playing well. Like, this is not about what they only look like. They're, I understand that they might fit the bill, but how do they fit the role? How do they, you know, play the person? That, I don't think people um, like Latinos aspire to be. See, nobody goes, I want to be a casting agent, but not realizing how important that is to making careers. Yeah. Not you know, like everybody wants the, the glory, not thinking that the glory comes from many levels. It really comes down to the passion that you have. Yeah, no, I think that it would take us another generation or maybe two to have the casting directors, the people behind the camera who are 100% Latino. Uh, I think it's going to take us a while to get there. I really believe that. Yeah, you know? but I do agree. We need as much representation behind the camera as we do in front of the camera. Because exactly. the more representation we have that is on the like behind the scenes the more we will get people in front of a camera because we'll have somebody that understands not only how important it is but how important it is to have it represented correctly because you yeah. can know how important representation is but without really understanding the culture you're trying to represent it's it's really hard to do it the correct way right and then those are the people who aspire to get to executive level yeah right so once you get to that top level that's a different level of power in hollywood where a film like the films that you're making right now or even veneno don't have the shortcoming um like release because yeah. there is somebody in one room that goes oh i just happened upon this project that landed on my desk and i have enough power to go we're gonna do something with this mm. right well, guess what you know when la soga 
when, when I shot La Soga, um, it premiered, it got into Toronto International Film Festival, which is a huge film festival. It's up there with Sundance and Cannes, yeah. you know? And when, when, when we premiered there, it was the first Dominican film ever to premiere there. We had, we had offers, not offers, we, we had, they were interest. Uh, Sony Pictures, um, um, Paramount was interested. So, I mean, like huge companies were interested. So we all sat down with them after we came back from Toronto. And they said, look, we love the film. My only hesitation is that is strictly 100% in, 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 in Spanish. And but at, at that time, they were not taking, they're like, no, but like, but, you know, if, if it wasn't in Spanish, it would be amazing. But people don't want to read in the movie theater. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, man, really? They're like, yeah. It sort of ruined it for us. We actually, it got, it got released with a smaller company, but dude, those big dogs were like into the film, you know, they, they wanted it, but because it was... Well, because it goes back, and this is something my mom taught me, um, uh, exactly, there you right? go. So it's that, it's literally about, yeah, you had the big, the big honchos coming for you, but somebody who's at that top level goes, I love your film, as it is. The only thing I'm going to try to, I'm going to add. Yeah. Not take away from your, your project. I'm going to add. How do we see the value and add to it? They go, how do we see the potential? And it's like, no, no, no. The potential is in the writer. You should be seeing like, this is a great project. Let's get that out there. And then there's potential for more from this person and, and nourishing that. But yeah. the, they're not looking for that because like um, I had somebody recently, we were talking about um, the statement, decolonize the Emmys. And I was like, you can't decolonize something that was made for white people. <laughs> like, it wasn't made for everyone else, yeah. right? Like, it was integrated at one point, but you can't, if, if an institution was made for white people, you're not, you you're taking away the white people, takes away the institution. You either yeah. gotta make your own or understand that you gotta infiltrate. Like it's different. It's a total, you know, you know what I'm saying? And I think it's the same thing with projects where it's like when we get those first five to six Latinos at the top or just people who have a better understanding of how to treat projects with respect, mm -hmm. it will change. No, no, of course. I agree. hundred percent. Well, I'm going to bring us to our last segment of the show, which is our Dear Gina segment. Okay. Uh, our fans of the show write in and we give them advice on what, whatever question they write in. So we'll all take a stab at it. Uh, I think I'll let you actually take the stab at it first, Manny. I'm going to throw this at you first. Uh, Dear Gina, as a Mexican single mother to half Dominican sons living in California, how do you deal with the questions from people that don't understand the difference between being Dominican and African-American? There aren't a lot of Afro-Latinos where I live in San Diego, and my sons look very different from our Mexican family and friends. It's hard to explain to people who don't understand the difference and have reference to the differences. On the flip side, how does a Mexican mom raise a Dominican-Mexican man to appreciate not just his Mexican culture, but also his Dominican culture? So <laughs> I will throw it your way first, Manny, and see as a... Uh, as our resident Dominican on the panel today. Bueno. <laughs> I'm going to sound like a typical Dominican. Bueno. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, 
I, and I'm going to, I'm going to, wow, that's really a great question, but I'm going to put it this way. I feel like, you know, since we are here in the States, our, our background is Dominican or Mexican, but I feel like you're here now and you're here now and you're Latino and whatever that means, if you want to say you're black, Latino, black, Mexican, but I feel that at the, at the end of the day, you are Latino, black, Mexican, Latino, black, Dominican, Mexican. Um, the point is, I think you got to, I think you got to uh, uh, enjoy what you have as that, that mix, as a beautiful mix, and just live with that mix. And, you know, and, and yeah, your background is Mexican, Dominican, but now you're in America. So I feel like, you know, you are American, I, I, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I hope I really, sense. you are American. The overall thing is that exactly. you <laughs> When you think about it, you're born here. So you are American. Exactly. So you are American, too. Yeah. And they have those two cultures. I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, even for me with, with uh, my son, because, I mean, well, my son, when he gets here, <laughs> uh, I'm eight months pregnant. Oh, congrats. Thank you. And I'm going to be a mom for the first time. And my husband is white and I'm Puerto Rican. So I have a similar issue of being like, how, first of all, what is white culture? I have no idea how to explain to my son what white culture is. I have no idea. Uh, and then I have to become a, a historian on Puerto Rico to explain to him Puerto Rican culture so he understands the two sides. So it is kind of a struggle like as a parent being like well what do I how do I teach my kid these things and how do I be fair to both sides and for me my, I mean my best go at it is going to be letting my husband explain the things that are on his side like this is where I'm from the Midwest this is where I grew up all the things that are on his side of his culture and then I handle what's on the side of my culture now I don't know what she's going to do being a single mother if she has perhaps a Dominican friend that can walk them through what Dominican culture is. Um, maybe somebody who's a close friend or a confidant that can help her keep that balance because she can teach them all about their Mexican culture. But yeah. again, I mean, and again, it's an opportunity for her to educate herself on Dominican culture for the sake of her sons. So yeah. take that opportunity to learn about the other culture and to find a love for that culture and to teach your kids about that, uh, teach your kids that way so that they can look at both of their cultures and be like, wow, both of these are amazing. And I feel like I've learned so much about both of my cultures that they have a good knowledge of where their family comes from. I mean, that would be the best advice I could give. That's great. I could, I could fail epically at this. <laughs> so I'll let you know when my son's around 10 years old, <laughs> I'll check back in and see if he's doing good. Uh, Catherine, anything you want to add to the question? I, I think that, like, um, when it comes to how do you raise somebody who has dual cultures and you're one, right? So my mom, like I said, was is Ecuadorian, right? My sister um, was half is half Puerto Rican, and she wasn't raised with her father, right? So my mother learned a lot about Puerto Rican culture. I also think it's because we from New York City and we were just around a ton of Puerto Ricans in Brooklyn. But my mother also, my mother also like, um, so for instance, she just integrated certain like foods into our, our like family. So like, um, pasteles was something we ate for Christmas. I'm Ecuadorian. The fact that that's a thing was always very interesting when I got older and people were like, you sure you're not the Puerto Rican? And I'm like, no, my mom just made it a, a thing. She also like, um, 
in my house, we had an Ecuadorian flag, we had an American flag, and we had a Puerto Rican flag. And that was more so my sister never only felt Ecuadorian, right? Now, mind you, historically, if you, you know, single mothers have a lot going on. So if you're like in your house and you have the ability to learn about that country, learn about their history, then that would be fantastic because that probably may help them. In regards to the question about like the difference between Dominican and African American, I think the question becomes how they present. So if they're a black man and in the United States they're being raised as an American, as nationally like American, they might be seen as a black man, meaning people are gonna assume they're African American. So understanding the context of African American in this country first, how they're being treated in this country first, but then when they if they identify as Afro-Latino, making sure they understand the difference between the history of the blackness in the Dominican Republic. But that takes time and that takes years and you know, resources and maybe hopefully going to visit their 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 other parents' culture. That's that's all things that's possible for money if you have money and stuff like that. I just think there's micro ways to do it. Like I said, with my mom doing it in that way, um, she infiltrated my. I'm full Ecuadorian, but she infiltrated even my identity. Where there's things that I don't realize I do, but it just gave me a better understanding of my sister. And so they need that better understanding if it's important to you and you have resources to it um, mostly. But then also understanding they're raised in the United States of America. That's a nationality amongst yeah. itself. Yeah. And, that, that is, and that's where my mother had to learn from us. Where it was like, my mom would go, en la casa es Ecuador. And I'll be like, yeah, pero en la calle. It's, right. And so she was learning this country from us and we were learning her country at home. So give, try to give as much as you can. You yeah. know, it's not, it's not perfect, but try. Well said, Catherine. That was well said. Well said, said, Manny. Well said, Catherine. I think you've solved that problem. You're welcome, person. Uh, (laughs) uh, Before I end the show, uh, Manny, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find your projects, what we can look forward to in the future. Go for it. Great. Well, uh, please, please, please support. Please watch Big Dogs stream via Amazon Prime. And also, if you don't have Amazon Prime, you can see it on tubitv.com, that's T-U-B-I-T-V.com, and it's free, gratis, that's a good thing. Um, and, uh, and then I, you can follow me if you want, uh, social media, I have uh, at Manny Perez One, all around, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Manny Perez One, but, um, and then I have other projects that come out next year, but right now I'm focused on, on big dogs and hopefully everybody will watch. And please, if you do watch, write a review on, on Amazon Prime, on IMD and also on Rotten Tomatoes. Those reviews actually matter so much yes. um, in the long run. So yeah, please. Absolutely. Um, that is true. Catherine, tell the lovely people where they can find you. Um, on socials, everything, but I don't even remember anything. God, <laughs> I just had the same moment that he had like a oh, minutes ago. <laughs> like, wait, what happened? <laughs> my brain was like, huh? <laughs> um, on everything but Twitter, it's Catherine G. Mendoza. That's K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-G-M-E-N-D-O-Z-A. And on Twitter, it is Kathy Gray 24. That's K-A-T-H-I-E-G-R-A-C-E 24. And like when you spell things. 
Um, <laughs> you guys know you can find me at Gbrione on Instagram. You can check out my latest special, which is on Amazon as well. And it is called The Floor is Lava. Also, my first special ever is on uh, Amazon called Pacifically Speaking. So you can check those out on Amazon. On HBO, you can check out Easily Offended or season five of Entre Nos and you will find me there. Uh, I'm mostly on IG, but I do now have a TikTok <laughs> and I'm having fun until the government takes it away from us. <laughs> and that's Jean Brion 80. Everything else is Gina Brion, including the website. You guys know I love to end the show with a piece of advice my mom gives me to this day. When life throws a lot at you, handle it one catastrophe at a time. Take it one catastrophe at a time, people. Thank you so much, Manny, for joining us. Thank you. We had a great time. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. With the bike like Bailey's. Hands on deck, I'm swimming it like David. Yeah, do it like that. You the kind of chick that's ready to fight back. Looks damn good, but really she type bad. Go to sleep, I call him my night cat. Born killer, you a born killer. Mm. Go on, get him. Go on, go on, get him. Mm.